Welcome to the Money Maven Project Podcast. If you're here to learn how to obtain freedom over your time and money through real estate investing, you're in the right place. Create the life you want by living with intention and becoming a maven in mindset, money, and real estate. Now, here's your host, Justin Monk. Hey, this is Justin Monk with the Money Maven Project Podcast. Super excited today. We've got Gabriel Hamill on with us today, and we are going to learn a lot about how he's gotten to a place in life where he's got freedom of time. Uh, Gabriel, tell us tell us your story, man. Thanks for being on. Yeah, absolutely, Justin. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, gosh, we can go back to I don't know. Let's say let's say high school. Um, yeah. You know, school school was not really really my thing. I mean, I stayed in high school for the the social aspect, and I was a high school wrestler. And so that's what really, really kept me there. Um, you know, as far as what I learned at school, like I just knew that wasn't, you know, that typical box of a classroom really wasn't, wasn't my thing. Um, I joined the Army National Guard my senior year of high school. And after high school, did a few, uh, few odd and end jobs, uh, went to basic training that, that fall after my, my senior year. And soon after that, around 2002, after doing some odd and end jobs, uh, taking a couple of random classes, I had read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that's the first book that I picked up that I didn't want to put down. I mean, I just <laughs> I I never read a book. I mean, like a full book, word for word, all through my childhood. It was like that was the first book that I picked up and was like, yes, I want to keep reading this. Uh, devoured that, and I decided like right then and there, like I will become financially free. I'm going to do it through real estate. I want to retire young, and I want to retire rich. Right? Like yeah. that was also also one of Kiyosaki's books. Yeah. Um, and that was in about 2002. And then in 2003, I got called up and I got deployed. And so um, I spent a year in Iraq and Kuwait. And I, I constantly thought about the lessons I learned in, in that book. And I just kept telling all, all the guys I was deployed with, I was like, I'm coming back and I'm building this real estate empire. And they were like, yeah, good luck, man. You're, you're an idiot. I don't know how you're going to do this. Um, and I said, I don't know how either. You know, I was I was literally living in the attic of my friend's house before we got deployed for like a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Um, and they're like, how are you going to do this? Like you don't have any education. I said, I don't know how, but I, I know I'm going to. Um, and then I came back in 04, looked for a year, 2005, bought my first house. And that was, you know, 2005 was right. You know, during the subprime, I didn't have, uh, you know, money, a job and the bank approved me. And I, you know, now I did with that house what they refer to now as house hacking, where I just rented, I bought the house, rented out two of the three rooms, and uh, I lived. I didn't know the term house hacking; that just made financial sense. Like I could rent out two of the rooms, live yeah. less than I could anywhere else, and that and that was really the beginning of my journey. Um, Two thousand five with that first purchase. And so, where are you at today? Where what do you what's where are you at, and what are you focused on? Yeah, so I, I have about 170 units. I had uh, about 175 units. I sold off a couple this year. Actually, some of my original purchases. We could dig into why I don't sell very very often. Um, so I have about 100, I think 171 units right now. It's a mix of a couple mobile home parks, uh, medium size, some small multifamily. I have a couple single family still, um, but a lot of a lot of where. Um, you know, I got to that level started because in 05, after buying that first house um, with no money down, it just seemed too easy. Like I bought another house in 06. This is when banks were just giving out money. Mm-hmm. So 05, 06, 07, 
Um, it was no money down, no money down, and then a 5% down deal. And I'm just like, this is easy. Like, this is just too easy. I'm going to buy a house every year. I don't even yeah. have to show income. Um, but then 2008 came. And then, and two, actually backing up a little bit, 2006, I also opened up a, a small nutrition store. And by 2008, the store was making no money. Um, my first son was born. And by 2008, I was like, well, shit, what do I do now? Like, yeah. I have these couple houses. They cash flow a little bit. I'm going to go back to the bank and buy another house. And the bank said, not a chance. It's 2008. Guidelines have changed. You actually have to have income, a large down payment. And I was spoiled with this no money down stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I was like, well, shit, what what else am I going to do? I took a bunch of odd end jobs again, um, eventually landing a, a minimum wage job in a high school special education class. And a couple months into that job, I'm just... I'm just going like, and my heart was out to these kids, man. They need people there that, that can help them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not my job. I was literally cleaning up shit that was thrown around a stall going, I, I, I don't want to do this forever. I don't want to do this for one more year. So I set a goal that year to replace that income. It felt very achievable uh, because it was a, a lower paying job. And, and I, that's when I did my first seller financing deal. And my first seller financing deal, which is how I've built um, everything else from 2009 to present. I've never bought with traditional financing from 2009 through 14. It's all been seller financing. And then about 2015, I also incorporated some private money, hard money and, and, and those things. So the, the first seller financing deal was two duplexes side by side. It cash flowed almost to the dollar that I was making at that job. I finished out that year and I stopped working. And so I was financially free really fast and really young, but I was still very poor. So um, I lived very much below my means, very frugally for a lot of years, made a lot of sacrifices early on so I can have the life that I have today and keep building and growing, uh, you know, what I'm doing today. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I am super intrigued. How did you, uh, how are you, how do you pull that off? All these deals or at least initially all the deals were seller financing and there's, yep. I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering how that's possible. I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners wondering how the heck did he pull that off? So how are you, what's the, what's your secrets to that? And then how are you finding these deals and these sellers that are willing to finance it? Yeah, it's a good question. So when the bank in 2008 said, no, we're not going to finance you. You're, you need to go get a job or, mm-hmm. or, you know, and show a couple, a couple years of income. I remember briefly reading about private money, hard money and seller financing. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know. And I didn't feel comfortable at the time. I didn't know anyone with money and I didn't feel comfortable going out and asking anyone for money. I owned a couple houses, right? I didn't feel like, I mean, even when I had one house, I went and made business cards. Like I was convinced in my mind, yes, I'm an investor. Like I knew that I would do that, but I didn't feel comfortable asking for, for private or hard money. I didn't fully understand at the time, Yeah. but I remember seller financing. And so from 2008 to nine, it took almost a year before I put that first deal together, but I was telling everybody what I was looking for, what neighborhoods I was interested in, what kind of properties I was, I was looking at, but I also got on Craigslist every single night. So while I was working this minimum wage job, had young kids at home um, or one young son at home at the time, I would get online every single night and I would just scour Craigslist, seller financing, owner financing, owner terms, uh, as is, just all these terms and things would pop up. A lot of them were junk. A lot of them were things that I didn't pursue, but I would call the, I would call the owners and have these conversations. And I got really comfortable 
talking to these owners. And I got really comfortable looking at these deals and seeing what was out there until finally. So I really went through that process. And then I came across uh, two duplexes that they were offering seller financing on. And I'm running the numbers on this thing. And because I had looked at so many other deals that didn't pencil, I knew this did. And so like, that's something I tell people today that say, Hey, we're going to sit on the sidelines until, you know, the market shifts. I'm like, no, go and put in the work now, analyze and go through the process. Cause otherwise you're not going to know when a good deal comes your way. So because I had put in that work, you know, every, every day for, for about a year, when they, the terms they were offering, they worked. I'm looking at a single one. Oh my gosh, what am I missing? Like this with, and, and I negotiated on it, on it some, but what they were offering pencil, like it made yeah. sense. And um, what I have found is sellers, they don't always want or need a down payment. And so usually sellers are stuck on down payment, purchase price or interest rate or some combination of that. But it's usually one that's a sticking point and really out of necessity because I didn't have cash to put down. I needed to find sellers that didn't care about a down payment Mm -hmm. and was more interested in other aspects of the deal. And so I, I was able to find sellers um, in kind of that small multifamily space, usually like two to six units where they were investors themselves and they already understood the advantage of seller financing the deal. And that's something that I, I share a lot too, because I, I used to go on these different podcasts and I kept getting the question, like, how do you talk a seller or convince a seller into carrying financing? Well, after I'd done a few deals, I thought, this is amazing. I need to go educate and convince all these sellers and educate all these sellers on why they should carry financing. And then I reflected back and went, wait a minute, I never had to do that once. Every seller who carried financing for me, they already understood the advantage. And all I had to do is say, hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And then yeah. I just listened. I just listened. And and not not that you couldn't educate or um, you know talk a seller into carrying financing. I just felt like if I could get in front of enough sellers that already understood the advantage, it's a lot easier to say, hey, what kind of terms are you interested in? And then just listening to hear what they have to say and then seeing, can I, can I take what their needs are? And can I take what I want to do with the property and kind of marry that into this true win-win scenario? Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's where it's really become a lot more of a relationship business than a transactional business. It's just, yeah. what are their problems? What are their needs? And can I, can I solve that? Can I give them what they want and still make the deal work for me? I love that. There's a, there's a bunch of lessons in that. Um, so one thing I wanted to point out, so you jump on Craigslist every night, right? Most, most, uh, most aspiring investors are, are, are burnt out for the day. They're watching Netflix or whatever you're on, you're on Craigslist. You're searching different terms like owner financing, owner carry, seller financing, those kinds of things. And, and you probably called or, or attempted to speak to what? hundreds of people i don't know how oh, many i mean not that many sure. what was the ratio yeah it was i mean i wasn't tracking anything then so i'm not yeah. i mean but it was a lot i mean anything that came up that was potential i i would call and at the same time i was also every for sale by owner any sign i saw in the yard um i was going to open i mean i haven't been to open houses in years but i'd see an open house i just go like i would and it was more about meeting the agent and building that relationship mm-hmm. um you know, and, and I, I realized it was relationship-based. Like even before those Craigslist deals and the seller financing stuff, the very first house I bought, again, it was 2005. It was a hot market. And you make an offer and there's like 10 other offers at full price or above within, within you know, hours. The first deal I did was a friend of the realtor's son. 
The second deal I did is because I went and made business cards and I told the guy at the gym, hey, I'm looking for a home in this area. So even in a hot market, I bought below the appraisal, like 40,000 below the appraisal, just because I opened my mouth at the gym and said, hey, I'm looking for a home in this area. And he goes, hey, my, my friend's dad, you know, he's been renting this to his son and his friends for years. They're moving out. This guy doesn't want to deal with realtors. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, there's no competition there. And when I look back at each deal I've done, and I mean, just example after example of it's, it's relationship-based. And the yeah. more conversations, the more relationships you can build, the more opportunities there are. Yeah, and that's a hard thing for, for new investors to, to, to believe in, right? Because it just feels like such a, you know, they, they'll talk to lots of people and not get any deals, but they don't realize that it's, it's that chance encounter, or that chance moment where like, oh, yeah, hey, I remember this investor that spoke to me 12 months ago. Now I've got a deal for him. Where's his card or whatever? That's how, exactly. I can't remember who I was listening to just the other day where it was like, he was talking about how surprising it was that, and this, I think this guy was like a, this is a big multifamily uh, broker uh, investor. And he was like, it's surprising how often it's like this serendipitous scenario yep. where, you know, the timing was right. And I had just met this guy or whatever. Oh yeah. Just, just yesterday, this came up, you know, it's so, it's funny how that is. Now that's not going to happen for somebody that's not, you know, learning and educating themselves and doing the, doing the work that you're going to miss those opportunities. But if you've prepped and you've done the networking, they're going to happen. It's kind of tough to believe in, but if you just put the work in, they will happen. And I think you have a good example here of pounding Craigslist, but also running the numbers on a lot of deals so that when the right one that made sense popped up, it was like obvious, right? Exactly. And I'm going, I'm going through that process right now. I'm just kind of laughing at myself because I'm running numbers on these multifamily you know, like, you know, eight to 24 units. And I'm like, these things are all so overpriced. I'm finding that, you know, brokers are bringing them to me. I don't have much rapport yet. So I'm not getting the pocket deals. It's like, what am I even doing? You know, these things are not making any sense, but I know that when one does, it's going to be like, whoa, this one, some one day somebody is going to be like, Hey, I'm going to, I've got, you know, I'll, in my network, somebody's like, Hey, I've got this 12 plex I want to get rid of. And I'll be like, I'll run some numbers and it'll be obvious to me. So, and, and you'll be able to make a quick, a quick decision because yeah. I, I mean, I'm, oh. and I'm seeing, and I'm seeing that too. Like even the off market and pocket, pocket listing stuff that gets sent my way, most of it's junk. And if you take the average property that's on a market and go say, get traditional financing, most properties don't pencil out. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many properties I look at. And I, I keep reminding myself like, there's a reason I'm going through this process. And I don't care that if it goes to market and gets 30 offers, if yeah. I've had a chance to look at it and I don't like it, I'm not going to be like, oh gosh, I should have bought that all of a sudden there's all yeah. this interest, right? It's, yeah. it's, I'm still sticking to like, this has to make sense to me today. There's a lot of stupid money out there right now. It's and, crazy. Yeah. People are overpaying and it's, there's tons of 1031 stuff going around. And, and uh, it's funny because I'm actually... I'm, I haven't really run into any like true off market or pocket deals because like, oh yeah, it's a pocket deal, but I've told 17 people about it. <laughs> yep. 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 That's, that's common. And, and you know what might work for some person, you know, another investor, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad deal, right? Like they're just, they just may be in a different position of why they want to buy, want to buy that property. And so it's, yeah, there's a lot of ways, a lot of ways to do it. Yeah, for me, you know, I'm I'm planning on syndicating the deal, so I've got to have I've got to have all that into consideration. I've got to have, you know, the preferred returns for the for the partners, and I, there's a 
few moving parts to it. Whereas somebody that's just got just sold a, you know, a, a development or whatever, they've got some cash 1031. They've got to park it somewhere. They don't care uh, you know, they've got to have the decent returns, but they've just got to get it parked. Like they can move way faster than I can. And they don't have their numbers don't have to be quite as tight as mine. So it's an interesting world out there. What tips would you have for somebody that's trying to, that's been doing single family, maybe some small multifamily, but wants to get into the, the medium, larger multifamily deals? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing specific to the seller financing stuff, I found that every seller who's ever, that's ever carried financing for me, they have multiple properties and there's, they, they kind of fit a particular demographic. It's, it's been almost all men and women in their sixties and seventies. They've typically owned the asset for 25 plus years. In most cases, they own them free and clear, but not always. And they've almost always self-managed. So really amazing people. And this generation typically had self-managed. And so they're, they're tired, like great people are just burnt out. They've been property manager. They've been maintenance person. They've been dealing with tenants. They've been doing it all. And so it creates a scenario where the property is poorly managed under rented deferred maintenance. Um, and I've seen where it's kind of that sweet spot has been that medium uh, multifamily, you know, originally it was two to six units, but even, even into, I mean, I did a, a 38 unit mobile home park where it was a seller finance deal. And, you know, that deal came to a relationship, you know, 10 years ago because I reached out to a guy just because yeah. I admired, uh, you know, he was a developer. I had no yeah. idea the guy had mobile homes or mobile home parks. And so it's just, I've actually noticed in some ways, the more sophisticated the investor or the seller, the more likely they are to already understand the advantage of yeah. seller financing. Um, with single family, just a lot of times you're dealing, and, and there's, there's people killing it in single family. There's a lot of times it's their primary residence or it's their, maybe their only rental property where I don't know if anyone that I've bought with a property from has only had one property. It's almost always been, oh, by the way, I have these other rentals. And, you know, you do one good deal, uh, you know, with those, with those sellers, who do you think they're going to call when they want to sell another yeah. property? And, you know, the, the better the relationship, the more rapport, the more trust, the better the deal. You know, it's, it's, you create a hassle-free environment for them. It's that, it's that win-win. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the, the, the seller financing deal that I did... I was actually attempting to do some hard money or use hard money and uh, it was taking longer than we had hoped. And the seller just finally just called my agent and he's like, Hey, just, can I just carry the note for you guys? And we're like, yeah, that'd be great. So yeah. And he was an investor. He had nothing crazy. He had like four or five single family homes and, and, but he knew what, he knew what it meant to own or carry knew the advantages of it to both him and to me. And so it worked out great. Um, so so still today, that's your number one source of these deals is just that network and the people that you know, right? And the people that know you, right? Exactly. And that's, that's just my, that's just my go-to. Like I'll always ask like, Hey, is the seller interested in carrying financing? I prefer to work with the sellers directly if I can, because then I, you know, I can get face to face, have that yeah. conversation. And, uh, you know, when there's an agent or broker, or it's a listed property, it can be a little more complicated because it becomes a lot more transactional, right? If I'm telling my agent to put something on paper that then presents it to their agent who probably knows little to nothing about seller financing, or even most agents aren't, aren't investors who then presents it to their seller, I have no idea if I'm offering them something that's even halfway attractive yeah. to them. Um, I have had some, some great instances where the seller 
it's a listed property and the seller does want to carry financing. But a lot of times agents and brokers will kind of step in the middle and say, oh yeah, I would need a whole bunch down. I would need a, they would need a large down payment because they're thinking, well, well, how do I get paid? Yeah. Um, and they can get paid out of the proceeds. It's just, they're thinking from a very different lens than, you know, if two people were to sit down and say, Hey, what do you, what do you look, why are you selling this? What are you looking? What kind of terms are you interested in? That's a very different conversation than yeah. just receiving a piece of paper from some stranger with an offer on it. Yeah. Are, are these properties, are they local in your state or are they out of state? Yeah. So everything I own, I mean, I'm in Eugene, Oregon, everything I, everything I own, uh, is within about an hour of me. So the majority of my properties are within 15 minutes, Eugene Springfield area. Um, and then I have a, a couple mobile home parks, 30 minutes and an hour south and an apartment an hour south. But most of my stuff's local. And that and that honestly goes back to the relationship stuff, right? Like when I started investing, it wasn't it wasn't as if, hey, this is the perfect market to invest. I just realized I didn't know this market and I know the sub markets within like everything I bought in 2009 through 13 was an area that when I was growing up, it was like, Hey, you don't really go down there. People didn't really want to be down there. And then it became an area that people wanted to be. So having that market knowledge, not just of the market, but of the sub market and seeing, Hey, people are gravitating towards that area. It was easy to, to see that being here. But again, people, you know, are kicking ass in all areas of real estate. You know, I have friends that live in one state and they invest in six other states. And so yeah. there's a lot of ways to do it. I found for me, just knowing this market and kind of naturally and organically building my network here, it's 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 worked really well. That was yeah. never the plan per se, but it's 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 where my focus has been. Yeah, no, and and I early on my market, I'm in Utah and 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 my market was at least from my perception, it, it seems very overpriced and it was very taxing on my capital where, you know, a, a three bedroom, two bath is, you know, 150,000 here. I can buy that for 40 or 50,000 in the Midwest. And so yeah. I was attracted to other States, but now I'm starting to see based on this conversation, it's a little harder to use a network that's not in your market. Right. And so when it comes to multifamily stuff, I'm sticking closer to home, even though the prices are, are crazy, because that's that's it's going to be easier for me to get the word out that this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm looking for, and hopefully that network, like, you, like we've been talking about, will help me build that, or at least provide those opportunities. So definitely staying closer to home for the the bigger syndication deals. Yeah, and the opportunity, you know, kind of going back to the seller financing stuff you know, the terms a lot of times is more important than, than the price because there's so much flexibility. Like when you go to a bank, they're telling you, Hey, this, these are the terms. Like yeah. here's the interest rate. This is the down payment. This is what I need. This is how you need to qualify. I mean, say you find a property and, and the seller's just stuck on price. Well, maybe you do an interest only payment. Maybe you amortize it out over 40 years instead of, mm -hmm. you know, 30 years. I mean, there's just so many scenarios. I've had sellers do direct principal payments I've had them do interest only payments. I've had them do specific dollar amounts. There's uh, an instance where the woman said, I want, I need 1125 a month. So we didn't even have an interest rate written in the contract. It was $1,125 a month written in that contract. That's what I heard her wow. say. And that's how we structured it. So wow. it's, you, you, there's so many, so many advantages like where, you know, you can ask for, um, I've asked, Hey, can I start payments in six months? I've been yeah. told no, but I've been told how about three months? How about four months? Yeah. Then all of a sudden you have several months of, of no payments, just, just so much flexibility. And if you and the seller are willing to be creative, you can, you can essentially do anything you guys agree on. 
Yeah, it's, it, you really do just start with a blank piece of paper and and then maybe an attorney, right? And you just say, hey, this is how we want this deal to look. There's no set, um, there's no set terms, and and you can come up with whatever you want. It, where, if our listeners are wanting to learn more about seller financing and the flexibility of it, do you have any resources, books you recommend? I don't know if you have places they can go to learn. What, where would you where would you send them? I, I haven't found a great book. I've I've considered writing the books. I, I don't feel, I mean, I, I feel like I've learned it, It's just kind of like trial and error and kind of be with the experience. Uh, I mean, my website has a, a bunch of, I haven't updated in a while with other podcasts, but I mean, there's a lot of podcasts on there when this releases, I'll, I'll put this on there too, but at yeah. Hamill investments, hamillinvestments.com. Um, and then I'm also pretty active on, on Instagram too. So people that reach out like one thing, that I make a point of if someone reaches out and they just, they want to jump on a 30 minute call, I will jump on a 30 minute call. I mean, to me, it's just, it's just a way to give back. And I get really excited about other people who uh, are either just about, you're just starting the real estate journey or wanting to start, or even if they're, they've already started. I mean, that's, that's an exciting thing for me to see, right? Like I had a guy that he, uh, I, I spoke at an event in New York and he was like, man, I heard you talk about Craigslist. And I kind of laughed and was thinking, yeah, right. Craigslist. And then he's like, but I went on there and I bought a six unit place off of Craigslist and I'm just going, hell yeah. You know, cause it's, it's just, yeah, you just never know. And to me, like, that's what I, that's what I enjoy. So, you know, if you have listeners that are like, oh my gosh, I found the seller. They want to carry financing. I don't know what to do. I mean, don't hesitate to, to reach out to me. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely send them your way. And you, you should write a book. Cause I was just thinking in my head, as you were talking, I'm like, I can't, I've never seen a seller financing book. There's, you know, there's there's some that skim across the topic as part of a bigger picture, but nothing that's just, just zeroed in on seller financing. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait to hear about the book. <laughs> yes. We'll see. I've been saying for a while, like I, I, I have not committed in my mind yet if I'm going to write, if I'm going to write that book. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So, so let's, let's talk about a little bit more about the mindset of, you know, creating freedom of time. You know, you mentioned that early on um, in our in your story there. But how did that pro? How did that idea of hey, I can have more free time to do what I want to do? How did that idea develop over time? And 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 how did you accomplish that? Yeah, it, it was it was kind of an interesting journey because early on, I was very focused on just building wealth. Like in my, like when you talk to my younger self, it was like, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to build wealth. I'm going to buy these houses. And I enjoy that process, but I wasn't really sure yet as to why. And, and my mind was so only focused there that, I mean, I would like go on dates with my wife and it's like all I would talk about consume, you know, like consume me. And it started affecting other areas of my life where I realized like, why do I want to be wealthy? Why do I want to build wealth? Like, what am I really after? And it was just really after a lot of self-reflection, I realized I want to own my time, right? It wasn't about swimming in a big pile of money. It was about, I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to live my life a certain way. And I, I don't want to have a boss. And as I, you know, my kids are now 10 and 12, almost 13. Yeah. I can just spend a lot of time with them. And so, you know, several years back and, you know, several deals in, I, I asked myself, well, why? And it came back to time and I wanted time freedom. And, and then I realized everyone's talking about financial freedom. I mean, that's what I was talking about too. I want to be financially free, financially free. And it was, it was, why do I want to be financially free? Because I want to have time freedom. 
And then I would have other conversations and every single person who ever mentioned that they wanted to be financially free or build wealth. And I asked them why it always hundred percent came back to time. They want yeah. more time with their family. They want time to travel. They want time. Maybe they're connected to a cause that they want to, that they want to spend more time with or yeah. they have elderly parents or grandparents, whatever it was, it came down to time. And I found that a lot of people lose kind of lose that sense. Like maybe they started building what they're building so that they could have more time, but oftentimes that gets forgotten. And I decided that's not going to, that's not going to be me. And so now when I go into any, any, you know, decision with my business, I think, well, how does this affect my time? So there's a lot of decisions I've made because of understanding how it'll affect my time. So for instance, when I turned my properties over to property management, one path is, and, and I'm not judging anyone else's path because everybody has the right to live the way they live. Some people, exactly, yeah. Some people genuinely love, you know, you take a guy like Gary Vee who was going to work a hundred hours, no matter how financially free is. I, I think he's genuine to that. The guy loves to work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But, but that's not me. And so, and I thought, do I open a property management company or do I go third-party property management? Well, I realized I don't enjoy property management. I don't, the, the time that it would take would take away from my family. It would take yeah. away from putting more deals together, putting deals together and building relationships, talk to people. That doesn't feel like work at all. Like I enjoy that. So it was, yeah. does this feel light? Does this feel heavy? And it's, and how does it affect my time? So every decision, I think, how will this affect my time? My time with my family, my time, uh, you know, to be able to, to travel, to, to work out in the middle of the day, like all these other aspects of my life, the, the health and my family, which are two important parts. Will this, will this take away from that or will it, will it add to that? Yeah, I think that's super profound. And, and I hope everybody's hearing that because I think we often see, we often see others um, and the freedoms that they're enjoying, you know, you know, the houses or the vacations or the whatever. And they were like, oh, I want money so I can have that life. But ultimately what we're really attracted to is the freedom of choices that people with lots of money have or just not lots of money, but sufficient, right? Money, right? It doesn't have to be a billion dollars. It just has to be the right amount. And I just, we're, we're all attracted to it, but I think we often just, we, 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 we target the money and the, the, the amount of it rather than, well, how do I create a life, design a life where I'm free? Yes, it does take some money because that's what can provide the choices and things. But, um, but I think that's profound. And I, I think that's, it needs to be talked about more uh, on oh, social media and stuff like that. It just that's ultimately what we want. I mean, if if everybody and I've said this before on other podcasts, but just imagine a world where everybody was financially free, so everybody could give and donate time and money and 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 pursue the the different things that to ultimately change the world bringing water to certain villages in Africa or uh, donating eyeglasses to some groups in South America, like whatever it is, if we all reach that certain point, man, the world is just in the amount of good that we can do as a people is, is exponentially, it's just huge. Absolutely. And that's going to require either time or money or a combination, a combination of both. And you nailed it with, when you said choices, it comes down to just the ability to have more choices with how you spend your time. Yeah. And you, you're, you're very clear in, in 
as you've made decisions, you've, you've asked yourself, how does this affect your time? How does this affect your life? And, and I think that is, that is the thing that I even, even in my own mind, I've wrestled with. Okay. I, I think that, you know, I'm like, okay, I've got to grow this, you know, portfolio. I want to have X amount of units, tons of units, lots of money, whatever. But, and, and I feel like my, my potential is only realized in the size of my company and the number of units. And I've had to be like, Hey, well, is that really what I'm supposed to be doing? What, how I'm most able to have an uh, impact on the world? Cause that might not be, it might be an X amount of units and then being able to spend my time elsewhere. And so I think your question of how does this affect my time? Why, you know, I've heard people say, you know, why am I doing this? But asking it, why, 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 like over and over until you really get down to the the ultimate goal or the ultimate reason that you're pursuing the things that you're pursuing and being careful not to grow a company that just becomes another job. And then, and now we're bound by it instead of a nine to five. And I've seen and heard stories of that happening also. Oh, me, and, and me too. So, so much so, so much so they've kind of built themselves into the, the corner, you know, and it's well, gosh, this is not why I built this in the first place. And so, yeah. you know, seeing people do that is is part of why I started speaking about time freedom. Cause I'd ask, why did you build this? Why are you building this? And it was, man, I wanted time. Yeah. Wanted more time. Yeah. And that's part of the reason that I, I started this podcast in the platform is because I, every time I heard somebody talk about something that they were passionate about, let's just say, for example, snowboarding or, or surfing or whatever. Right. And they're like, well, I don't do that anymore because of what don't have time or don't have money. Exactly. Right. And I'm just like, well, hold on. Like, let's, we're doing it wrong. If that's, if we are, if we're having to turn down the things that we're passionate about or, you know, whatever, Hey, I, I didn't, wasn't able to spend time with the family this week because I had to work overtime because I need more money or whatever. Right. That's, that is so limiting on, on what, on the quality of life I think we can have. And I just, I'm like, we've got to start thinking about this differently. We've got to decide on the life we want and then design a job or a career or a money-making machine around that life. Exactly. Oftentimes, oftentimes we go get a job or a career or whatever, and then we build the life to fit in the cracks of that. And, and, and there was a time in my life where I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of trying to fit life in between or in and around work. And I'm like, I've got to start developing passive income and other ways to get to that place where I'm financially free. And I still have, a, I mean, I have a nine to five or whatever you want to call it, but I have a great job. It's awesome. But I've also started to, uh, my relationship with that job has changed and I'm making different decisions of how I, how I manage that and, and interact with that job. Well, and it's, been, it, it, been huge. it comes, I was going to say, and it comes down to the choices, right? Like there's, I, I know people that love their job, but it's the ability of, can you leave if you wanted to, right? right. I mean, I, I have a friend who's a, a surgeon and he, he does, you know, free surgeries now. He loves his patients. He loves his job, but the guy's built this huge portfolio of real estate, has this passive, you know, amazing passive real estate flow. He's still able to do what he loves for his patients and surgery, but it's on his terms. He doesn't have to do it. So it's like, you know, sometimes people think I'm, I hate on the nine to five or I hate jobs. Like, and sometimes you have to do that. And if you love your job, great. But it's the ability to like, if you don't anymore, or if something changes to be able to, to shift and say, 
I don't have to work anymore. Yeah. I choose to work. I don't have yeah. to work. Yeah, by you know, the majority of people, if they didn't have to go to their nine to five, they wouldn't like and and me, like I, I have a really good gig and it's a really good setup. I'm a part owner in their company. So I have some freedoms that come along with that. So I can't complain. And and that's been good. Um so let's let's jump to one question I wanted to ask was you started in 2004, 2005. Yep. What do you, so here we are, we're 15 years later, almost 16 years later. What do you tell to the, what do you say to the, the new investor that's like, man, I've been doing this for six months and I'm just pissed off that I don't have, you know, 10 units and like, I'm just so, I'm just freaking out because I can't, I, you know, they're trying, they can't just be patient with the process and, and, and they, they don't understand that it takes time. What do you say to somebody like that? And how do you help them? get through and be patient with the process. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really comes down to that that long-term vision and understanding the difference between making money and building wealth, right? Like it's making money is that that short term and and sure, you're going to need some of that to, you know, to to survive, but if the focus is on on building wealth, you can't quit after 6 months. I don't know too many people who are financially free or investing in real estate who didn't start off with challenges, but who have stuck with it and not been successful. The yeah. ones who have said, Hey, I just wasn't successful with it. They bought a house, they had one bad tenant or they had one issue and then they stopped, they quit. And so, you know, it's, it's being willing to be, to be patient and be, and, and understanding there is a difference between making money and building wealth. Like I recently sold a couple of my early purchases in 2020, like this year. And it's interesting because I've always focused on cash flow first. Yeah. Well, those original properties only cash flowed a couple hundred dollars a month. Those couple properties, and I mean it took me a year to get the first one, right? Yeah. Like yeah. those couple properties, those couple hundred dollars a month isn't what did it. If I bought that one house, I wasn't gonna live off this you know, $250 a month of cash flow, but because of the cash flow, now it's 2020 and it's gone, gone up in value significantly. And I can look at that and say, I can keep that property. Yes. It'll go continue to go up over time, you know, maybe up and down, but historically yeah. uh, up over time, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. cash flow the whole time. And that cash flow is what gets you to the position where you can later go, Okay, do I want to sell this for a large profit or do I want to keep this this cash flowing? But it still it comes down to uh, patience and then having choices with that. Too many times I see new investors just say, I, "I've been doing like you just said. I've been doing this for six months. I found nothing. I'm you know." And it it takes time, but it does snowball. And I on the other end of that, anyone who has that I know who's been successful in real estate. They get to this point where like, oh my gosh, this year I just did as much as I did in the last 10 years. Yeah. Because you're not only not only have you grown and learned, but your mindset and what you think is possible changes. You realize, yeah. well, yeah, gosh, that six unit wasn't as bad as it really wasn't that much more work than the single family. Yeah. That 20 unit really wasn't much more work than the than the six unit. And it it really does snowball. And it it's the patience with, you know, I know it's easy to say build relationships, talk to people, you know, analyze properties, but it's doing those things over and over and over. It really does pay off. And if yeah. you're patient and you understand that building wealth is very different than just making money, 
then, and I think the other part of that is, are you willing to make sacrifices? Like I talked to a young guy today, young single guy. And he's like, he's like, I'm thinking about house hacking by, you know, by like a four unit place, live in one bedroom, rent out the other rooms and the other units. And I'm like, that, that's fantastic. Some people aren't willing to make those sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Like when I, 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 like, I didn't own a rain jacket or new shoes. Like when I started out, like I didn't buy anything, like almost yeah. anything. Right. It was, it was the difference of like my money. If I'm going to spend it, it's going to assets, not liabilities. Yeah. Now my assets pay for my liabilities, right? Like, so if I want to go take an, a, an awesome trip, my real estate's paying for that. Like, yeah, but everything sacrificed early on is paying for the things I get to do today. I was yeah. just willing not to do those things early on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I hope listeners rewind that and listen to it again, because what I'm hearing here and I, that, the reason I, I always love to point out the time it takes, you know, the, the, the guests that I have that have, that are, where you are, you know, lots of units, successful, doing well. I always like to point out how long it took because I want to make sure people understand that it takes time and it's going to just, it's 15 years and here we are, right? So don't be frustrated when you're two years in and your life hasn't changed yet. Let I'll say this and, and you can tell me if you agree, your first properties will change your life, but you won't feel it at first, meaning, meaning they will change your life in what you're going to learn. And like you down the road, 10 years, 15 years, when you sell them, that is going to be an awesome cash out. But you won't feel that. that The first $200 a door that you're cash flowing on the first two or three properties, it's not going to all you're going to do is use that as operating capital anyway, and you're going to cover your expenses and grow. And you won't, probably won't take anything home, but you've got to understand that that is changing your life. You're just not going to feel it till you look in the mirror 10 years later. And I hope people can just grab onto that and, and, and be patient with the process. So. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree a hundred percent. And I think it's, you know, uh, six months or a year can feel like a long time, but 10 years can also go by and someone can say, Oh man, I didn't buy a property. I didn't, yeah. I didn't do anything that 10 years. So it's, I, I think, you know, what I'll tell a lot of people, and, and, and it doesn't matter really, really the age. I mean, you're 20, you're 30, you're 40. Like, if you're willing to dedicate a solid decade and like commit to, you know, learning about financial freedom and about how to build wealth through real estate, I mean, you're going to do a lot of positive damage in a 10 year period yeah. to possibly set you up for the rest of your life. It's, but it's, yeah. are you willing to, to make that shift. And I've seen people do that and it's phenomenal. I've seen people yeah. do it who have nothing. I've seen people do it who have high paying jobs that want to replace that income. But it's it's that mindset. Like first they want it. Like they're willing to believe like, yes, I want it. They're willing to believe, yes, I can do it. And then they figure out how. Rarely do I see someone who's successful know how to do everything and then they go out and do it. It's they want it. They believe they can get it. And then they figure out how to go do it. And it's, you know, they, it's by, it's just by going through the process over and over and over. Yeah, no, that's right. And I, I think people need to, you said it, you know, you're going to need to make some sacrifices and, and, but we're, you're not saying that you're going to need to, you know, live on two or three hours of sleep or go without food or whatever. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about sacrifice things like Netflix, 
and maybe maybe instead of a month long vacation you're going on a week vacation like there's there's different we're not asking you to go without much and but we there are some things that consume time and our distractions that are good to sacrifice and most of the time what we're going to sacrifice is just bad habits of how we use our time and how we uh, shy away from difficult things. That's probably the biggest sacrifice we're going to make in getting. Yeah. There. Yeah. And I'd say to touch on the money and the time, like a good example, just in my life was like, I drove a lot of shitty cars, right. Before I had nice cars, my real estate is what bought me a nice car. Right. But I didn't care when I was 20 that I drove a $600 car, a thousand dollar car. Like that's what I, that's what I could afford. The thing drove, yeah. it got me, it was safe, but I didn't care. My friends that were financing $30,000 cars, at the time when I'm buying a $600 car, right? Like they were paying on that over and over and over yeah. again, where I was pumping that money in, into, you know, deals, cleaning up a yeah. unit because I could rent it for more, yeah. um, you know? And then the time thing, it's just, it's also how you look at it, right? Like I feel like that giving yourself time to think, giving yourself time to like really decide what you want gives you clarity around like, you know, how to kind of how to how to take that next step if you're working all day long and then you're sitting on the couch and you're watching movies till you go to bed and you wake up and do it again and again and you haven't even allowed your time to reflect and meditate on what it is that you want out of your life how are you gonna how are you gonna start to create that and so yeah. even just taking the time to go what do i want out of my life what do i want my ideal life to look like and then once you have that at least even somewhat clear in your mind, then you can, it's easier to make decisions around, uh, around that day to day. Like I knew I wanted to build wealth and be, I knew I'd be financially free through real estate. So it wasn't hard to make the decision of, well, if I go finance a car when I have no money is very different than me going and financing a house. When I have no money, the house yeah. is going to put money in my pocket. The car is not, it's, it's a no brainer because yep. in my mind, I already decided this builds wealth, this doesn't. And yeah. so, but you got to give yourself time to think like, what, what do you actually want? Yeah. Big difference. Yeah. Being clear, getting clear on what you want out of life and the life you want to design will help you make those decisions. Yeah. What, otherwise you're living by living by default, right? If you're exactly. not, if you're not designing your own life. Exactly. And this is a, this is a super silly analogy, but I've been thinking about this. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the mountains, you know, hunting and fishing and hiking and things like that. And, I often take trail mix with me, trail mix, you know, mixture of M&Ms and, you know, uh, nuts and raisins and things like that. And I, I usually just go buy the bag off the shelf and I'm like, and I'm eating it. I'm like, I actually don't even like this. I wouldn't put this many peanuts in there. I, I don't want that many raisins. I would want more M&Ms. And I'm like, well, why am I doing that? I can go buy what I want and I can make design the bag that I want, the, the mixture that I want, or design the life that I want. I just have to be more intentional about it. And it takes a little more work, maybe a little more money or investment, but I can eventually have the life or the bag of trail mix that I want. I know that's super silly, but sometimes we just grab the bag off the shelf and we go to our nine to five and we plug it out and we come home and we watch Netflix and then we do it over. And we don't think that there's any way to break out of that mold and get what we want out of life. And I yeah. hope people hear that you can live the life that you design. Yeah, I think it's a great. I mean, I think it's great. The trail mix example, like it's, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's silly because I think it's spot on, right? It's literally the difference between default and design. Like, yeah. Yeah. You design exactly what you want to eat, put in your body, bring with you, have with you, right? Like the other one's completely default. Yeah. You grab it, you have it. That's, that's your only option. Or you can literally create 
exactly what it is that you want. Yeah, it's so funny because I I just realized I'm like I don't even like peanuts. I like cashews more. So why am I eating a bag of trail mix that has peanuts in it? Yeah. And you funny. nailed it right there. You ask yourself why. You we ask do yourself, that all the why, time. Like why am I doing that? Nope. Why am I going to this job that I don't like and it's not getting me to where I ultimately want to be? I have these visions of this, but this path is not going there. And yep. and we have to step out of that and and be more intentional about it. What what is the biggest uh mindset um i guess mindset characteristic that you see in people that inhibits them or stops them from reaching their goals and 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 pursuing them i think either belief in their self that that it's not possible for them um but also the lack of the lack of taking action like you're not i i don't think it's I guess the, the, I think fear holds a lot of people back, not, not just in real estate, but in, in general, like people are afraid of failing. They're afraid of losing all the what ifs, right? All the what ifs. So like an example, mm-hmm. the real estate is like, I've never bought a property that I regret buying, but I also could have found a reason not to buy every single one of them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of what ifs. Mm-hmm. I could have found a, what if this, what if this, what if this, like, I was asked recently, like, how much reserves did you have on, on your first seller finance deal? I had no reserves, but I was into the thing, no money. So yep. the what if of like all the shit that could go wrong with the property and there's things that went wrong there, but the what if of not doing the deal was way riskier than the way what ifs of what could happen. So yep. I, I think fear, you know, let, let people letting fear hold them back from what they truly want. I think number one. And then also just the taking action, like not the, the first deal is probably not going to be the perfect deal. It's probably not going to be the deal that gets you wealthy, but the first deal is going to give you confidence to do the second deal. And the second deal is going to give you the confidence to do the next deal. And the next you know, deal is going to give you confidence to do a larger deal. Right. And it's just being willing to, to, to take action. I, I have a, a friend of mine that for, for years, read all the books, all the same things, was very knowledgeable, had a really strong background, and he didn't take action. Once he took action, he bought, we ended up buying three units together, another three units together, and then he bought four units on his own. And now he's looking at a lot bigger stuff. Yeah. And I love it because as soon as he took action, it was only a few months later that he was able to take action again. And not long after that, they took action again. Right. And it's, it's, that's just how it works. Like confidence builds confidence, but you got to take action. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and that's huge. Um, being able to overcome the fear of risk, the, the biggest risk is ending up with a bag of trail mix that you don't want to eat anymore, right? Like the, the biggest risk is not taking that risk that's going to change yeah. your life. Um, so on the inverse of that now, you know, that's kind of the biggest mindset obstacle that we that you see, what's the what's the most common characteristic that that you see in people that succeed. And maybe it's just the inverse. Maybe it's the ability to overcome that fear, but is there something else that you see in people that are being successful? I think, I think it's the desire and the discipline. I mean, it it goes back to people willing to take action, but I think it starts with having a strong enough desire. And, and I don't mean just like a want, like there's a big difference to say, Oh, that'd be nice to be wealthy or it'd be nice to be in shape. But it's, it's, it starts with that desire. Like, I want to be wealthy. I want to build wealth. I want to be in shape. And, and then actually going and doing it, saying, eh, it'd be nice to be in shape is very different than I'm going to go get my ass in shape 
and I'm going to go figure out what I need to do to do that. I want, you know, people say, it'd be nice to be wealthy. It's very different than I'm going to build enough wealth so that I am financially free and live the life that I want and then go figure out how to do that. So I think it's, it is a mindset thing, but it still comes down to the taking action. But when I look at, you know, other people I know who are, are successful, it's desire, discipline, the determination to, to be willing to go out there and, and just do it. Like, like for me, there was no plan B. Like I didn't, I didn't have a backup plan. Yeah, I, yeah. it was, it was like, this is, this is what I'm going to do, you know? And, um, you know, I remember my mom saying like, this seems risky. You know, and she was very, my, my parents were very supportive. And I was like, a job seems risky. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like they can say, see you later. Like whenever, you know, whenever they want, like that seems risky, yeah. you know? So it's, it's perspective too, you know? Yeah. When COVID-19 hits, they can say, they can say, see you later. Yeah. See that you later. Is, that's the right. biggest risk. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. This has been, this has been so, so helpful. So I've learned a ton. Um, what's one question that I always like to ask, cause I'm always curious for different ideas and, um, what's one way that you are giving back, um, you know, helping other people and kind of making the world a better place? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I mentioned one of the ways, uh, earlier and, you know, I, I talk about time freedom in my own life, but one of the things that I really enjoy being able to, to, uh, have my own time is I have, I have taken on a ton. I mean, over a hundred calls this year, one-on-one 30 minute calls. I and mean, I love doing these, these, these podcasts. I think that can reach a lot of people, but I make sure that I respond to anyone that reaches out to me. And I always offer at least a 30 minute video call. It usually goes longer mm-hmm. just digging into whatever, whether it's mindset, whether it's specific to real estate, whether it's, it's a deal, um, uh, you know, to, to anyone that reaches out, I will jump on a, a 30 minute video call. And there's been some other like financial gives and stuff this year, but I, I yeah. would say I value time. And so that's something that I feel really good. I'm able to give back my, my time. I think one of the greatest gifts you can give or receive from someone is, is their time. And so, yep. uh, I value the time that, that people give me and I value being able to give my time to others as well. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. You kind of already mentioned some of it, but uh, where is the best place for our listeners to contact you, reach out to you? Yeah. Uh, Instagram's the best way. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly active on there. Uh, you'll find me if you just search Gabriel Hamill or my tag is Gabriel R. Hamill. Uh, my website's hamillinvestments.com. Uh, my email is gabriel at hamillinvestments.com. But I'd say Instagram's the best the best way to find me and, and get in touch. Perfect. Man, uh, guys, if you're listening, take him up on that 30-minute call. Not everybody does a, three, a free 30-minute phone call. So that will be worth it for sure. Uh, Gabriel, thanks, man. This has been awesome. I appreciate you jumping on. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Well, man, let's stay in touch. Will do, for sure. Thanks for listening to the Money Maven Project podcast. A true maven shares knowledge with others. So be sure to share this podcast and leave a review. Thanks so much. And until next time, live life with intention.